The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I had the privilege and have had the privilege of getting to know Steve over the course of this last year and a half, and he literally came on the heels of Hurricane Matthew. And the, the serve component was what drew him of saying the church filled with people whose lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. Yes, they worship, and there's plenty of churches that worship. Yes, they, they have renewal of your hearts and your minds through the power uh, of the gospel, through God's word and the study of that. But they live in deep community, that they share life together, and that they serve. And as we were talking, uh, he really came to say, and he said so many times, we've talked uh, numerous times, of what God has done in his life, the transformative power of serving the needs of other people. And it's profound how simple it is, isn't it? That you go and you care for someone else's needs above your own. That you go and you do that. It just sounds easy. But there are challenges uh, to it. There uh, are things that have to happen within our own lives to really lead us to that place. To, to not just lead us to drive us and then to empower and inform uh, our serving of other people. And so this morning, as we consider this topic of service, uh, we said last week that... To go and to serve the needs of other people is not a suggestion, but a mandate that God has given to us. He didn't put it out there as a possible idea uh, that we could do if we didn't have anything else to do. He commanded it. He said, I've come to serve, therefore you go and serve and care for the needs of other people. And that there are no loopholes within that command. That we don't get out of that command based on personality types. We don't get out of that command based on giftedness and our giftedness, spiritual giftedness profile. That all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, follow him. That's what a follower does, right? Right? It's, it sounds simple, but we're followers of Christ. And if we're followers of Christ, then we follow him where he goes. And he said, I came to serve, not to be served. And so we follow his example. We look to him for how he served, why he served, the power with which he served. And this week we're going to be looking at a picture of his service that he gave right before his ultimate service on the cross. And we're looking at John chapter 13, at the washing of the disciples' feet. And we're going to key in on what I believe is at the heart of serving others, and that is a deep humility. That humility is the key uh, to serving the needs of others. And so let's ask now God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word and the exposition of it as we come to it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word preserved for us over these years by your spirit spoken by you through faithful servants. Father, we thank you now that we can hear your voice, 
that we can be encouraged and exhorted, and we can be challenged as well, that we can be comforted and discomforted all at the same time, knowing that you are doing this work in us by the power of your Spirit so that we would become more like your Son, Christ, and that we would have within this world a profound impact of pointing many to see the glory and the beauty of the one who came to serve us by giving his life on our behalf. So come now, bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to them, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. Blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, and when it does take place, that you will believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. We're going to start with what seems like a very simple and easy place to start, but sometimes that's what we're supposed to do because Being a preacher isn't all that complicated. Being a Bible teacher isn't all that complicated. Sometimes it's just right there clear for you. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus Christ gives us the greatest example of serving. And we know this because in verse 15 he says, I give you an example. So he's saying, I'm your example. Look at me. So if you want to look at and find an example of service within the world, yes, you can go and look through history and find lots of men and women uh, who have served. But as a Christian, we should start with how did Christ serve? 
and derive our service methodology, our philosophy of service, the very heart of why we serve and how we serve, it should be driven and encapsulated within how Christ himself served. So Christ gave us the greatest example of serving, and it was one that was bathed in humility. You see, Christ, in his example, for all of the chapters leading up to John 15, there's three years encapsulated in those 14 chapters, in those 12 chapters. Jesus had been teaching all of his disciples and teaching anyone who would listen. He was teaching them about the coming cross, uh, about his sacrifice, about the crucifixion. He was teaching about the gospel, that God had to come down, that he was God, and that he was going to offer himself in the place of mankind, of the elect, so that God would save them because of the sacrifice uh, of the Son. And so he was preaching the gospel. Now he determined, he said, but I've got to give you a good example of what's going to happen tomorrow. This is the last night that he was with uh, the disciples. And he said, now here's what I want you to see. I want you to understand that the beauty of the gospel message, the beauty of Calvary, the beauty uh, of it all is like this. And it said that he rose from dinner and he was the host and the head of the table and he would have been noticed. And it says that he began to unrobe And he took off his outer garments. It doesn't mean that he became naked, but he took off his outer garments. And then he took a towel and he wrapped it around himself. And you can imagine the disciples were going, what's he doing? And then he came to them and he took a basin with water and he began to wash their feet. He began to show them, this is what the gospel does. The gospel is a message of God coming and serving God who is beautiful, God who is glorious, taking on an inglorious position of coming and taking your place and serving you in this way. He's pointing, as it were, through his service of washing feet back to the cross. He had taught on the cross He then gave an example of what that really looks like. What does the gospel look like within the life of an individual? And it pointed then to inform them on the next day when they saw him crucified, they would realize this is what he was talking about. He was saying that he came to serve and that last night was just a microcosm of that. Last night was just a little foretaste of what true service really is. And it pointed them back to the cross so that then they would go out And they would then teach about the gospel and then would solidify their teaching of the gospel with acts of service, not simply to say we serve because we serve, but because we have been served by Christ. Do you see this big circle, this secular argument of saying we teach about the gospel and that's important, but we need to understand the true nature of what's taken place and it is that of being served by God, served by Christ taking our place, doing something that would never have been thought up in any world religion. That the God of the universe would come down and take the place of dirty, profoundly nasty humanity and would do it in order to save them. And then Christ would send us out and say, now go and serve, not just to be a humanist, but to go and serve so that they will come and understand what took place on Calvary. You see, there's this beautiful picture that's taking place, this example of serving the needs of others. It takes with it an incredible amount of humility. You see, humility 
Humility most comes from the most confident people. That may sound odd. Not from proud people, but confident. Christ knew who he was. Christ knew he was the Son of God, equal with God the Father in power and in glory. He knew who he was. He was confident in his position with God. And therefore, because of that confidence, he could strip himself bare and go and to serve regardless of what other people thought about him. Do you understand and see that confidence? It's recognizing the confidence that we have of who we are that leads us then to go and to serve and to care for the needs of other people. And to do it, quite honestly, to their astonishment. And interestingly enough, to do it in any circumstance in which we find ourselves. This example of Christ coming and emptying himself, Christ basically at some level humiliating himself in front of the disciples to wash their feet. Do you recognize when he did it? He did it the day before he died. And he knew he was going to die. How often I've come up with incredible excuses of why I can't serve the needs of other people. I'm sick. I'm busy. I don't have enough resources. Life's crazy. I've got little kids. I've got big kids. I have no kids. I've got a wife. I don't have a wife. I've got money. I don't have money. I'm happy. I'm not happy. It's all kinds of reasons of my context and circumstance driving whether or not I'm going to meet the needs of other people. And Christ said this, hey, I trump yours. McCutcheon, lay them all out there on the table. Here's mine. I'm going to die tomorrow, but I'm still going to serve the needs of my people. I'm going to wash their feet. So shh, Bill, just go serve in whatever context in which you find yourself. Isn't that amazing and challenging? Because we find ourselves in all kinds of different circumstances. But Christ gave us the greatest example of serving. So go and study it. Look at him. Study the Gospels to see how Christ serves us. Second main point, Christ gave us the great example uh, of serving, and now we're going to look at, and humility being at the very heart of that service was the humility of Christ. Now we're going to look at the greatest enemy to service is pride. If the greatest ingredient is that of humility, of seeing Christ's humility out of his confidence of who he was, that the greatest enemy to serving would be that of pride. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 7 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Again, the heart of it. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Again, at the heart of serving the needs of other people is humility. And the thing which attacks and abates our service more than anything else is our pride. And most of you are sitting there going, well, good, I don't have a problem with that. Because I still haven't had anyone in all my years of ministry come, except after I make this statement, come to my office and say, Bill, I need to meet with you. Most of the times it's, Bill, I need to meet with you for uh, my marriage. I need to meet with you for this thing or this thing. No one's ever walked in the door and, Bill, I am overwhelmed with my pride. I'm a prideful man, I'm a prideful woman, and I need you to talk to me about that. Nobody ever does that. Have you ever done that with anybody? No. C.S. Lewis said this, show me a person who says they have no pride, and I'll show you a prideful person indeed. So how do we, if pride is the greatest enemy of serving, how do we know whether we have pride in our lives? And by the way, we all do. We all do. Jonathan Edwards, in his wonderful essay, 
on undetected pride. I'd encourage you to read it if you've never have. Edwards is difficult to read, but it's a good challenge to have in your life. He shows seven things, seven symptoms, and as one person who was writing about Edwards, which makes it sometimes easier to read, uh, said there are these seven sneaky symptoms of pride. So if pride is the greatest enemy, here's some ways for you to determine whether you have pride in your life. The first sneaky symptom of pride in your life is fault-finding. While pride causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves, it also causes us to filter out God's goodness in others. We sift them, letting only their faults fall into our perception of them. Edwards wrote, The spiritually proud person shows it in his finding fault with other saints. The humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in their own heart that he is not apt to be very busy with others' hearts. Isn't that interesting? A prideful person is very concerned with everybody else's hearts. Very concerned with finding fault in everybody else. But Edward says, the humble Christian is busy at home. (laughs) I know my own heart. I got enough to do. I can't worry about yours. I'm going to deal with mine, and I'm going to work on mine. So fault finding, maybe you have a little bit of fault finding in your life. Maybe you grew up in the house of somebody who was really good at finding fault in your life. Second little measure of finding the prideful spirit within you is that of being harsh. Those who have the sickness of pride in their hearts speak of other sins with contempt, with irritation, with frustration and judgment. Pride is crouching inside. Edwards again wrote, Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them. That we love to be harsh. That we're harsh about other people's pride, or other people's sins, but relatively gracious on ours. When's the last time you called yourself a liar? Probably very rarely. Have you ever lied, though? What do you call a person who lies? A liar. In your repentance before God, God help me, I'm a liar. But have you ever called someone else a liar? Oh yeah, they're a liar. They lied. Ah, we find it and we're harsh to their sins, but very soft to our own. A prideful spirit is superficial. When pride lives in our hearts, we're far more concerned with others' perceptions of us than the reality of our own hearts. We have great success in the areas of holiness that are highly visibly accountable to others but little concern for the disciplines that happen in secret. Superficiality. Defensiveness. Now, I'm not this. I'm not defensive at all. (laughs) Yeah. I was watching, uh, not a documentary, but a movie on um, Winston Churchill in the war years. And he sat in the House of Commons and listened to the Labor Party just annihilate him with accusations. And he sat there quietly. And I thought, I could never do that. I would just want to defend myself. That would just undo me. I, became un- I get undone with a, with a text or an email that says I'm not all that great. And here with this man just getting assaulted. Defensiveness is a sign of pride. Those who stand in the strength of Christ's righteousness alone find a confident hiding place from the attacks of men and Satan alike. For the humble Christian... The more the world is against him or her, the more silent and still he will be unless it is in his prayer closet, and there he will not be still. 
We pray it through. We don't have to defend ourselves. The fifth hiding spot of pride, presumption before God. Edwards writes, Some in their great rejoicing before God have not paid sufficient regard to the rule of Psalm 2, 11. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. If reverence and trembling are missing, then we may have presumption before God. A desperation for attention is the sixth one. I'll move quickly through these. That pride is hungry for attention, respect, and worship in all of its forms. And then seventh, neglecting others. That pride prefers some people over others. We consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, and the unattractive because they don't seem to offer us much in return. Take those things, jot them down, and consider them in your life to see whether or not maybe you have those pieces of pride in your life. And here's what you're going to find out. Pride, being a part of the sin nature that we have, naturally hides itself. And therefore, you're going to need somebody else, the Holy Spirit primarily, praying through the Scriptures that says, Lord, search me and try me. Know my inward thoughts. Know me. So you're going to invite the Spirit in to start digging around and looking for these things. But living in deep community and in one anotherness, you would also invite somebody else in who loves you and cares for you, and to say, do you see any of these seven things in me? How's that for a Sunday afternoon exercise? (laughs) Hey, darling, I'd love to go to lunch with you today, and I'd like for you to critique my life and look for these seven things within me. Anybody going to do that? Very few of you. Heck no! Because we don't want to know that we have pride. But if we do have pride, it is fighting against humility, which is then therefore fighting against serving. And so if we want to be transformed by the power of the gospel, to be more like Christ, who at his very core came to serve, then we would need to recognize the greatest enemy of service is pride within us. So let's recognize it, identify it, and begin to dismantle it. Because here's the deal. The person preaching to you today is riddled with pride. And so are you. We're all in this mess together, right? Maybe I'm not. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me going, you're riddled with pride? I can't come to this church anymore. (laughs) Well, okay, you proved the point. So, See, here's the good news. Confession of pride signals the beginning of the end of pride. It indicates that the war has commenced. Folks, acknowledging it means that the war has begun. And so we need to battle that together. Now, the third thing we said... Uh, that Christ is our greatest example of humility and serving, that pride is the greatest uh, enemy uh, of service. Now, the third thing, listen to this. Serving and service is directed by those who are in need, not by those who are serving. Serving is directed by the need, not the server. Follow me here. Christ desired to serve the needs of the disciples, correct? Correct. He was sitting at dinner and he determined, I want to serve their needs. And he looked around and he determined what was their greatest need. Now Peter said, I I need to be bathed. And Jesus said, you don't need to be bathed. You've been bathed, but your feet, they're nasty. Your feet, your male, nasty, sweaty feet in leather sandals walking around in the ancient Near East on muddy roads with dust and all of that, those things, they need to be washed. And therefore, your need 
determines what I'm going to do to serve you. And Jesus stooped to the place of coming to what only a servant would do. Even a Jewish servant wouldn't do this. A Gentile servant was the one who would wash the feet of a Jewish person. Because it was beneath them. And Jesus, being God in all of His glory, equal in power and glory to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, emptied Himself and He said, your need is going to drive how I'm going to care for you. And here's what you need. You need me to wash your feet. You need to see this. You need to experience this. You see, it wasn't beneath Him. He said, listen, I'm your teacher. I'm your rabbi. Yes, and by that, do I, does it demand respect? Yes. But you can't be above me. I'm coming here and I'm serving you. I'm going to serve your needs in this way. You see, the trouble with serving the needs of other people, uh, of others, is that it's determined by their needs, not predetermined by our parameters of what we're willing to do. Jesus looked around and said, I want to serve the needs of my disciples. What do they need most? They need foot washing. Ah, that's below me. I'm not a foot washer. I can do this, this, and this. I'll pour them some wine. I'll serve them some dinner. I'll even do the dishes. But I'm not doing that. Well, then that's not true service. Jesus, when he was in uh, Jericho, the story in Mark 10, he, cl- he came to blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is simply Bar, son, son of Timaeus. He came to the son of Timaeus. And he said to Bartimaeus, the blind man, what do you need from me? We've talked about this before. You ever thought that an odd question? What does a blind man want more than anything else? Sight. Why did Jesus ask? Did he not know? Of course he knew. He was God. Why did he ask? I think it again was to give us an example of saying this, what's your need And then that takes the control away from us and gives it to the person who we're asking. And they're saying, I need food. I need my my feet cleaned. I need you to enter into my poverty. I need you to enter into my discord. I need you to enter into this place in my life, my place of need. And at that point, we are bound to go, okay, I'm there. A couple of Saturdays ago, we were just over at the school. I mentioned this to you. And we had a wonderful group of volunteers who came. And my team, we got to go to the cafeteria. We were going to clean the tables in the cafeteria. I was like, awesome. This is easy. Especially because originally it was we were taking the tables outside, and we had a power washer, and we were just going to power wash the tables. Didn't even have to touch them. And the principal said, hey, we need you to wash the tops of the tables. Tops of the tables, no big deal. And the bottoms of the tables. That should give you a little hint of what was maybe on the bottom of the table. There was some gum, and there were some things that had been picked and set there by children. And we had the opportunity to scrape gum and repick some things and get them off of the table. And so here we were, this wonderful group of Christians coming from this wonderful Christian church over to this school to serve their needs. And the principal said, we really need you to disinfect our tables top and bottom. And we looked at them and said, we're a top-only church. We don't touch the bottoms of tables. No, of course not. We had said, we want to serve your needs. What are your needs? We need the bottom of the tables cleaned. Okay. Jesus washed feet. I can repick boogers. 
I can scrape gum. I can do that. I had sanitary gloves on, and I could take them off. Jesus used his hands. I hate feet, by the way. So I can't imagine anything grosser than touching somebody else's feet and washing them and doing that. And Jesus did. Because you see, the need determines our service, not us. Folks, that's a challenge, isn't it? Because each of you has some parameter that you've set. I'm willing to go thus far, but no further. I'm willing to help you with this, but don't ask me more than this. Christian service, empowered by the Holy Spirit, leads us to a place of 1 Corinthians 9 that goes something like this. I became all things to all men so that I might win some to Christ. That to the free I became free, to the Gentile became like a Gentile. That I did all of these things. I was willing to do what was necessary to serve others so that some might be one to Christ. Because Christ did everything. He was willing to humble Himself to become a bondservant. To come and to die on a cross to serve my needs. And how can I say that I am greater than my Master? Because if Christ was willing to go and to do these things, I too have to be willing to go. Because for me to say, hey Jesus, I know you were into washing feet, but that is below me. What that says is I'm looking at Jesus and saying you're below me. I'm of greater dignity than you. And that might have been fine for your ancient first century Near Eastern stuff. But this is America now, and we are different from that. No! We go and we serve at great cost to us. The needs of others determined by their need. That's hard, isn't it? Are you willing to ask the question, what do you need me to do for you? I need you to sit. I need you to be present. I need you to cry. I need you to look after my kid for a little bit because I'm a single mom and I'm worn out and I don't have any time for myself to go and get my hair done. Can you just take care of my kid for me? Oh, I don't do babies but I'll bring you lunch. I don't need lunch. I need sanity. I need you to serve my needs, not the needs that you think I have in that way. Last couple of things quickly. As we're serving, we never want to forget the goal of why we serve. 1 Corinthians 9 says over and over and over that I might win more of them, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those outside the law, that I might win the weak, that by all means I might save some. The service that we do within the context of our transformed lives within the church and outside the church is in the great hope that some would come to know Christ. What an incredible platform that we have That when you take food to somebody who's hungry and they say, why are you doing this? Well, you can say, because you're hungry. Well, any humanist would do that. But to say, because I want you to understand that I serve Christ and He met my greatest need and I want to meet your need now. And I'd love to introduce you to this King, this Christ. I come in Christ's name. That we want to point them back to Christ. That they see through us, yes, they see us, but they see through us this glorious Christ. And that they're drawn to Him who was the epitome and the perfection and the example of service in our lives. That's why we do what we do, folks. That's why we serve. Because we want people to come and to know the Savior who served us. Two questions in conclusion. First, 
Have you been served by Christ? Have you been served by Christ? Christianity at its very core is an assault on the pride and the ego of man. And only a humble person is willing to admit, I can't save myself. I need someone else to serve me. And maybe you have been trying to save yourself through your good works, through your merits, through your attendance in church, through the fact that you try to do more good things than bad things, that you'll stop doing this and start doing this, all of that. But the question has to become, have you allowed Christ to serve you? Have you allowed Him to come and to offer His life to you? Not as some philosophical concept, but as the reality of life. And that you have bent your knee and you have said, Lord, I accept your life in the place of mine. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. That's first and important. So the first question, have you been served by Christ? And then the second question follows. If you've been served by Christ, are you willing to go and to serve like Christ? If you've been served by Him, and He has established His life in you, then we go out and we serve like Him with great humility, with great loss to ourselves, that we go and we do that in His name, by His power, to all of the ones. Think about it. He touched lepers. He hung out with whores. He was with the politically incorrect. He was with the socially incorrect, the moral outcast. He was with them all. He said, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to break away from these parts of my culture which keep me from going there. And I'm going to do this. And this Christ now is in you. Are you willing to break and to go across those lines? To do something different in the name of Christ and for His great King? So two great questions to think about today. Have you been served by Christ? And are you willing to serve like him? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the beauty of it. Thank you for the power of it. The conviction that comes. Some of us now haven't gotten past the part that we might be prideful. We're wrestling there. And I pray that you, by your spirit, would deal with our hearts in a manner that is both strong but loving that is powerful yet gentle. I pray that you'd move us to a place where we would see our great need. And like Peter, we would be astonished that the King of the universe would stoop so low as to give his very life for us. And in that, there would be a transformation so powerful that there is now nothing below us that we're not willing to do in your name to love our spouses, to love our children, to love our parents, to love our friends, to serve the needs of those who are of different race and ethnicity, socioeconomic class, to serve the needs of others in your name. But Father, move powerfully, I pray, and would we see that we have Christ, and that's all that we need. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.